What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm Jordan, and today I'm posting a debate that I had last week with Dale of Real Seekers. The debate was on whether it was rational to believe in divine miracles, whether we could rationally or reasonably conclude that a miracle had actually happened. Now, I have to say that this debate did not go the way I thought it was going to go. I've done probably about a dozen or so debates and None have gone like this. It, it's probably the craziest result I've seen thus far. Far. This might go down in history as the very first time a debate ended and the two participants agreed on the premise. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. So the original debate will be in the description. The version that I'm posting here has some light editing. I removed some awkward pauses, some of the audience questioning that wasn't useful, stuff like that, but just trimmed it down a little bit. It's mostly untouched. Uh, but without any further ado, let's get started. Okay, great. So the, my thing is the positive case for identifying miracles. This is premise eight in my 11 premise argument. And just want to, so there are some debate presuppositions here. So number one, I'm assuming that God exists, obviously, for this debate. Um, and by God, I just mean he's a real, maximally great being, as Eugene Nagasawa defines him. Um, secondly, God has at least one goal, and one of those goals is that as many human beings as possible achieve their ultimate purpose in creation, wh whatever that is. And religious divine revelations, they're one means God could use to achieve that. Uh, and then finally is the assumption that God uh, cannot allow for any what I call undue confusion. And that's just confusion that would unjustifiably, on God's part, hinder uh, achieving the goal of as many humans as possible achieving their, their ultimate purpose. So those are some of the assumptions that I have in this debate. Okay, great. So what the heck is a miracle? What are we talking about here? And miracles typically refer to a special type of event that only God uh, and or uh, those uh, he delegates his power to can bring about. Um, there's been many definitions. If you look in the, in the philosophical literature of what a miracle is, one of the more popular notions among atheists today is that, well, it's something supernatural beyond nature or is a quote unquote violation of the laws of nature. Um, I think that this nomenclature is just totally un unhelpful, um, especially when you're talking with uh, a natural, someone who subscribes to naturalism. I think these kind of things cause more division and misunderstanding. So I prefer to go with a more ancient approach, right? And, and the Bible describes miracles as signs and wonders. There's something that they're a wonder, they're remarkable to the ordinary person, and they serve as a sign for some for something. And that's the understanding that kind of undergirds my own understanding, where I say that miracles are simply events that are, quote unquote, intelligently designed by God, either directly or indirectly, to achieve a given divine uh, purpose or specified purpose. Okay, so how do I how do I go about identifying these events? Well, like I said, I think intelligent design theory um, is a great way to go. And you know, we we have it, we detect intelligent design in everyday life all the time. Um, so Bill Dembski has this trichotomy rule, where there's three types of explanations that people are aware of. There's regularities, so these are high probability events. There's also random chance events, 
And then there are events that are intelligently designed, uh, you know, and there are examples that we see every day with humans as the intelligent agent. So Mount Rushmore, this, this was obviously not formed by wind and erosion or something like that. Um, no, humans intelligently designed it. Um, or language, you know, if you see the words written on a beach, John loves Sally. Um, obviously, that, that those words were intelligently designed because of that semiotic dimension, as John Lennox would say. Um, or SETI, you know, detecting human life through receiving certain mathematical patterns from outer space. Um, or finally, the uh, another great example, one that William Lane Craig gives, and I'll be showing a clip from him in a second. But, you know, imagine we have uh, a guy named Bob. Bob was born on January 5th, 1981. And on his 40th birthday, one of his friends gives him a car as a gift. And guess what? It has a license plate reading Bob 1581. Uh, you would be obtuse to go, oh, well, improbable events happen every day. That, that just obviously happened by random chance. No, we, we obviously are reasonable in saying he reasoned this person intelligently designed that license plate to match up with his birth date. Um, okay, so what is it that underpins all of these examples? I think that it's Bill Dembski's criteria of specified complexity. And this is what allows us to infer intelligent design in a given example. Um, all of the above examples do have that. Um, so. Uh, here's just a little clip. So Improbability issue here. It's the probability of having a life-permitting universe. To give an analogy, suppose Bob is given a car for his birthday, and the license plate has on it CHT4271. Now, there are millions of license plate numbers, and that number is highly improbable, yet it would occasion no special interest. But suppose Bob was born on August 8, 1949, and he finds on his birthday card the license plate BOB8849. He would be obtuse if he just shrugged this off and said, oh, well, nothing to be explained about that. Any number is equally improbable, and there had to be some number on the car. But what makes this case different than the other? It is the combination of high improbability with an independently given pattern that results in what uh, design theorists call specified complexity. And it is that that tips us off to the fact that this is not due to chance, it is due to design. So again, the theist finds himself comfortably within mainstream science. It is not a- Okay, so uh, that was the point that I wanted you to get from the video. There, there's those two elements, right? That indep event independent pattern plus uh, it's, it's a impro sufficiently improbable event to occur given ordinary natural events and uh, mechanisms and that sort of thing. Okay, so, so let's look a little bit at what these criteria in turn. So what, what is specification? What are we talking about? So this just means that, look, there's a, an event a pattern that conforms to an event, uh, sorry, an event conforms to a, an event independent pattern. So the pattern itself is the specification. In the example here, it's Bob's birth date, right? This is obviously an independent pattern. God, Bob's birthday was August 4th, 1941, or whatever it is, independently of whether he gets a car with that with Bob 88441 on his license plate or not, right? Um, so that's what we mean. There's, this is a pattern that it's a delimited pattern, something that we can detect as a pattern, and it's detachable 
from the event itself. So that's what we mean by something being specified. What about complexity? Well, obviously we're talking about the, the probability of an event's occurrence. And in this case, it has to be smaller than the relevant probability bound. And that's where we go, okay, it's, it's complex. So it's, it's not random chance or something like that. Um, and obviously there are differences between localized universal probability bounds. For, for our purposes here, we don't really need to get into those details. And you'll see why as I get to the part on miracles. Um, but the point here to get is that we have to have a saturated probability. So that means that, you know, we are looking at the probability, uh, taking account of all the probabilistic resources, and then comparing that to this probability bound. Um, so that's, that's what uh, complexity is. Great. So let's, let's apply this to the religion authenticating miracles as being intelligently designed events. Um, so philosophers have typically identified miracles as events that are highly improbable or impossible given the laws of nature or and they take place as Mike Lacona says within a context charged with religious significance um, so for example someone being instantly healed uh, of their disease uh, right after God um, they pray to God to be healed uh, this would be a miracle of compassion for example in this debate, I'm sort of specifically focused on a special subset of miracle, what I call religion authenticating miracles, because that's what I've done my work on. Um, and I think that basically we can identify religion authenticating events as being events that exhibit specified complexity, because think about it, they, they are delimited, right? We The pattern of, okay, if God exists and he, he gave divine revelation, and he wants to clear, authenticate that divine revelation, giving a miracle, that's an independent pattern, regardless of whether God ever did perform miracles or ever gave divine revelation, or even if God doesn't even exist, we can conceive of that pattern independent of, of observing the event of God raising Jesus from the dead or uh, taking Muhammad up in a winged horse and flying around Jerusalem, whatever it is. Um, so that, so I would argue that religion authenticating miracles are in fact specified. Um, additionally, by definition, miracles are remarkable or extraordinary events. Remember the Bible uses the word signs and wonders. Um, and in this way, humans perhaps could say, well, they are very imp sufficiently improbable to occur. This gives us complexity and specification. Uh, to, to say these events must be intelligently designed. Um, okay, so here are my specific criteria um, for how I figure out if a given um, event is in fact specified or not. So in the first place, uh, the event has to be sufficiently attached to a religion. So this is kind of what I was already talking about before. The, the event takes place in a context charged with religious significance. And I gave the example of someone being healed, let's say, after a Christian pastor prays to God for them to be healed. Um, but that alone is not enough. This is where I go beyond other philosophers and why I'm specifically focusing on a subset of miracles for the specified purpose of authenticating religion. So the, the event, the miracle has to serve to authenticate the religion. Uh, that's the purpose or the end goal of the event. 
Um, so I give the example, miracles associated with a religious founder who claims that these kinds of miracles actually prove or that God approves of his religious message. Yeah, that would serve to authenticate the religion if, if the event actually happened and that sort of thing. Then finally, number three is the issue of subsumability. And again, this is something that I think I'm unique in that nobody else has really talked about in the literature, but the event itself can't be subsumable to another religion. So, you know, you have example, the virgin birth. Well, Christians aren't the only one who believe in that. Muslims do too. The virgin birth is a part of Islam. Um, so if we could prove that the virgin birth happened, who gets it? Is it the, it, does it prove Christianity or does it prove Islam? And my thoughts here are that the, the first religion chronologically to claim a given event by default gets it. I think this is what the reasonable real seeker would assume. Unless the later subsuming religion fulfills a three sets of sub-criteria. So the first is that the religion itself can't be contradictory with the event's occurrence. So an example here is many people, I disagree with this, but many Christians and stuff will argue that, well, if we could prove Jesus rose from the dead, that can't be subsumed by Islam because the Quran contradicts it. It says Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, for example. Um, secondly, the subsuming religion has to have its own independent religion authenticating miracle. Um, and finally, thirdly, the subsuming religion has to have an overall probability of greater than 50% in terms of it being true or being the religion that God endorses for us to follow. Um, uh, if, if it doesn't meet these minimal doesn't meet these criteria, then the original it, uh, this miracle serves to authenticate the original religion. And I argue, I think that's what the reasonable real seeker would do would, would think. Okay, um, now we're on the complexity aspect of religion authenticating events. So remember one of my presuppositions is that God would not allow for any undue confusion uh, among any reasonable real seekers. So this is a specific subset, right? So by reasonable, I'm just using the civil court legal definition. Average person, it's a semi-objective test, right? So there's average person with average intelligence, with average discernment, average uh, knowledge base, the average peep. Um, and then there's also this real seeker thing. So um, again, I've defined, there are three criteria for that. It's a person who is sincerely open-minded to the truth of a given religion, uh, you know, finding out what the truth, true religion is, if any. They're actively doing their best to seek the religion uh, that's true, uh, again, if any. And upon discovery of that truth, they would be willing to obey and follow. Um, so yeah, um, that's what that is. Um, now here's, uh, in terms of the probability bound, this is probably gonna be controversial, but I, I argue that for the reasonable real seeker, this, this average person who's really seeking the true religion, Look, less than 50%, that's a, if you have a probability, a saturated probability less than 50%, that's sufficient for a reasonable real seeker. I think that's the level God would operate on because, I mean, think about it. The signs and wonders or religion authenticating miracles work for people back in the Stone Age just as much as the quantum physicists today. So I, 
I think that um, that is a sufficient probability bound for religion authenticating events. Um, and again, God, because God can't allow any undue confusion, that allows us to claim warrant, even though there's some relativity in this criteria itself. Um, okay, so uh, stupid glasses. Um, okay, and one thing I say here, in terms of calculating the saturated probability, another qualification is, look, most reasonable real seekers were not statisticians. Trust me, I was looking at uh, potential objections in preparing for this debate today, and I, I don't, I can't make heads or tails of them. I, I I'm, have no idea how to calculate the saturated probability or how many probabilistic resources are available for Jesus' resurrection or something like that. Um, but again, because the standard is the reasonable real seeker and God is there to prevent me from being unduly confused and therefore I'm warranted regardless of my limitations, I do think that we can still argue that normative probabilities or subjective-based probabilities, again, if you fulfill the criteria for being a reasonable real seeker, that's good enough. That's sufficient to go, yes, this event is complex. Uh, a human being rising from the dead, uh, truly rising from the dead, that, that's extremely improbable. And I think in 99% of the cases, most of us can have get that difference be, and be um, warranted and stuff like that. Okay. Um, okay. So my criteria for determining if something is complex. So the first way to do it is the standard mechanistic argument. So this is kind of the standard way, right? So people will either argue, look, all the currently well-known or well-established ordinary natural mechanisms are improbable or impossible, right? So that's what Richard Swinburne argues, the violations of a law of nature. And, and notice, again, all currently well-known or established ordinary natural mechanisms so that we're not responsible to, to well, what about, you know, the future and, and, and unknown mechanisms? Don't know, don't care. We, the reasonable real seeker just has to assess the currently well-known and well-established ones. That's all they're responsible for. And God is playing the role of preventing undue confusion on that front. Um, okay, uh, the second way we can do that is to say, well, an event is extraordinary if it's unique, despite sufficient opportunities for duplication in a natural, ordinary natural context, right? So, you know, there are different types of opportunities. There are natural opportunities and there are artificial opportunities. So in the case of the shroud images, for example, um, one might argue, well, look, billions of people have been buried in burial shrouds and only the Shroud of Turin uh, has images. There's been a sufficient natural opportunity for duplicate images of some random guy. I mean, you know, why doesn't Julius Caesar have a, a burial shroud or something like that? Um, you can make that argument. I, I don't think that works for the shroud, but that's beside the point. Um, and then there's artificial. So these are field and lab experiments that can provide opportunities um, deliberately for duplication of a given event. Um, point is here in general, yeah, if, if an event remains unique to, to religion, authenticating contexts or extraordinary contexts, despite a sufficient opportunity, yeah, the common person, that's a complex event. That's an extraordinary event. That's, that is a, 
a wonder, a sign. Um, and then thirdly, there's extraordinary circumstances. So uh, this is a bit harder to do, but you know, maybe things like uh, the timing of an event. So it's not the event itself that's extraordinary, but the circumstances surrounding it. Um, so I just gave the example, you know, in the, the movie, The Nativity Story, it has a, a totally ordinary natural event, like the Jupiter, the Saturn, and some kind of star. They all just happen to align. But why would an ordinary, a reasonable real seeker think that this is complex or extraordinary? Well, it's the timing. It just hap so happened uh, right over Bethlehem on the time of Jesus' birth. Someone might try to argue it's extraordinary that way. So, yeah, those are my criteria there. Um, sorry, this has taken so long. But, um, um, okay, very quickly, I'm almost at the end. So, okay. Now, in addition to the a posteriori evidence, there is the issue that always comes up, the prior probability of a religion authenticating miracle. Um, okay, so basically, uh, the prior probability for God performing a religion authenticating miracle, um, if we, in the specific circumstance, we can detect the presence of a religious or religion authenticating context, remember, through the criteria for specification, that's how we would do that. I argue that the prior probability will always be 50-50. It just depends. Well, did God have a sufficient religious motivation to do a miracle in this case or not? And um, as Jordan knows in our last debate, he kind of made a great argument about there's a, a low prior probability about the carbon, carbon dating being explainable by residual thing versus some supernatural uh, neutron flux or something like that. And he said, well, look, we should opt... It's very low probability, given our precedents and past experience, that it would be some remarkable event. Ah, but not if there's a presence of a religion authenticating event. That is a game changer. And that's where I say the prior probability is 50-50 um, because of who God is. And again, it, it all just depends on does he have that sufficient motivation to do this miracle or not. Um, now, there are a couple of skeptical arguments. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll give it since I'm taking so long. Sorry, guys. Uh, like I said, um, I, I had five minutes and I, I've never practiced going through this. So I know it's very wordy, but okay. So, so a lot of atheists and skeptics will kind of give this, this, you hear this all the time, right? So with the case of the resurrection, for example, they'll say, well, look, the, the prior probability of Jesus, uh, be, God raising Jesus from the dead as a miracle it's extremely low. Look at all the billions and trillions of people throughout all of human history, and God has raised practically zilch. So it's like a one out of billion, billion chance or something like that. And I just say, again, this is totally missing the, the, the point. This is the wrong reference class. It's irrelevant about whether God uh, raises random people randomly from the dead who have no religious importance. No, look, the presence of that religion authenticating context is what demarcates Jesus as a specific, within a specific reference class of person where, yeah, it, it's equally probable God could have had a motivation, sufficient motivation to raise him or not. So what he does with Tom, Dick, and Harry, who cares? These guys are not within a religious authenticating context. So we wouldn't, of course, we would use, you know, prior context. But that's not what we're doing. We're not asking what is the prior probability that God would just randomly raise Jesus as a random person from the dead. That's 
that's not what we're doing here. Um, I'll skip over two, but this is a, a more nuanced one um, based on God's MO um, and looking at, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll skip over that just to save time. So, final slide here as a potential objection, because I'm using specified complexity or intelligent design theory to kind of underpin my criteria for miracles. Well, an obvious objection that I always get is, uh, you know, ha, don't you know that Bill Dembski and intelligent design is a joke? Evolution is true. What are you, some kind of whack job creationist or something like that? Um, all I'm going to say is, look, this objection is totally irrelevant to my, to my argument here tonight. I'm not arguing for creation versus evolution. Uh, let's just assume evolution is totally true for the sake of argument. Um, I do tend to believe in intelligent design theory um, myself um, kind of thing, but pretend I'm totally wrong. Throw that in the garbage. Evolu natural evolution is true. Um, that has no bearing on whether on my argument here, because uh, people are basically objecting and saying, look, all that this proves is Bill Dembski misapplied his criteria to evolution. Um, maybe he got the biological facts wrong. He's not a biologist. Uh, who cares? The point is that his criteria are still valid and apply to many other disciplines. And I gave that list of um that list of criteria, uh, sorry, that list of examples when I first started where we can clearly detect the presence of specified complexity and patent protection, information theory. Uh, there, this is being used um, in AI studies. And interestingly, a AI is a supposed um, falsification that maybe Jordan will point to of specified complexity, and we can get into that a bit. But um, my point here is that, look, this doesn't matter because Evolution, the misapplication of the criteria to the field of biology does not falsify specified complexity themselves in general. For that, you need objections to the criteria themselves, not their application to the field of biology or something like that. Um, and secondly, um, don't forget, again, we have this standard of the reasonable real seeker. Um, so you, even if you did disprove somehow specified complexity, let's let's say one of the falsifications is real. Remember our standard, I would still argue that the reasonable real seeker in today's culture would still be justified in believing events are in inferring intelligent design on the basis of specified complexity. So uh, with that, I will um, shut up. And how long was I, Jordan? Hopefully I wasn't that long, but. Uh, I wasn't timing it. I have no idea to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, now it's time for me to totally shut up. And uh, Jordan, you get to give your opening for as long as you need. Sure. I just want to say, I put it in the comments, but if I lose, it's because the moderator is biased. I just want to point that out. <laughs> okay. Sure. It's already pretty good. <laughs> There's specific uh, complexity here. So. Right. Exactly. Confirm predictions. All right. So I don't have any slides. So you're just going to have to look at me while I talk. Um, today's debate is. Uh, we're talking about whether we can rationally identify miracles of God. Now, there are some of my fellow atheists who insist the answer is necessarily no. And even if Jesus himself came down on a fiery chariot and like rearranged the stars in the sky before their very eyes, they wouldn't believe. I think that's silly. 
Uh, the, uh, the answer is obviously yes, in some sense. Given sufficient evidence, it's rational to believe just about anything, and miracles, I don't think, are an exception to that. Uh, but it's no fun to talk about stuff we agree on, and where I think Dale and I are likely to disagree are on what counts as sufficient evidence, like what we would actually need to rationally believe. So let's talk about that. And when it comes to an event that's identified as miraculous, we'd need enough event, uh, enough evidence to justify belief that the event in question occurred and that the event was caused or designed or whatever by God. Since something can't be caused or designed by God that doesn't exist, the evidence would need to be sufficient to warrant belief in that deity unless you came to the table with that belief already for other reasons. Um, how much is enough will always be a subjective judgment. I tend to think in Bayesian terms, and so I would say that miracles have uh, an extremely low prior probability. That is just a fancy way of saying that you would need a lot of evidence to reasonably believe it. I think this for a few reasons. Genuine miracles, if they occur at all, are rare. Most things that happen in the universe are just interactions of ordinary matter that's perfectly explicable by natural laws and don't seem to have any significance as a sign or wonder at all. Um, and so miracles are a rare occurrence. Not only this, uh, but miracle claims are very often wrong. Even if you think miracles are a real thing, uh, I'm sure most people won't disagree that there's a lot of people claiming this, a miracle happened and there's no miracle. They're just mistaken. So those reasons alone would justify a low prior for any new claim that came up but and that's that's true even if you accept that miracles can happen sometimes but i think it gets worse because uh, remember that for a miracle to be possible at all god must exist so that means accepting this miracle claim if we don't come to the table with that belief already that would require us to fundamentally alter our perception of reality in order to accommodate not just the supernatural whatever that means but specifically a supremely powerful personal being that's utterly unlike anything else that exists this is an important point, so I think it's worth emphasizing. So far as anyone can tell, the laws of physics always apply to all things, and they haven't changed significantly with time. We've encountered no verified exceptions. So if you want me to believe that there is a hitherto unknown exception to this rule, I should require some truly stellar evidence to believe that. If you're still not convinced, uh, imagine this. Suppose someone claims that hyper-advanced aliens have visited Earth. In fact, I think right now there's some people testifying before Congress that that very thing has happened. Uh, <laughs> I think we would all rightly be extremely skeptical of that claim and require excellent evidence to believe them. That is to say, we'd all agree that it has a low prior. And I think we have good reasons to do so. We've never observed life outside of Earth. The universe is extremely big. The odds of alien life appearing near us would seem to be low. The technology they'd need would be staggering, etc. But at a kind of like a basic level, believing that there are hyper-advanced aliens out there isn't like crazy. They would be presumably beings kind of like us, and we already know that's possible. Uh, we, With regards to the technology, you can see our rapid advance of technology in just the last 10,000 years. How much further along would a species go if they got, say, a million-year head start, or two million, or ten? Uh, in other words, a hyper-advanced alien species existing is... Uh, really just a difference in degree from what we already know is possible. And it's not a, like a fundamentally different type of thing. So I would contend that however low you set the prior for these aliens being existing and, you know, visiting Earth, and I think you should set it quite low indeed, uh, the prior for a God existing who intervenes on Earth should be much lower than that. But hey, who cares if miracles have low prior? Because low priors, even extremely low priors, can be overcome with good evidence. So... Uh, let's circle back to those evidential hurdles that have to be cleared. Remember, we have to have enough to think the event happened and that it was caused by God. So the first 
hurdle is where most miracle claims fail, particularly those from the distant past. Uh, for one simple reason, they tend to rely entirely on personal testimony, by which I mean like some person is relating a story either that they witnessed or said they witnessed or, you know, they're hearing whatever. It's some story from a person. This is problematic because for any individual's testimony of a miracle, there are always going to be far more likely alternative explanations for that testimony. It's a well-established fact that humans regularly lie or are honestly mistaken. Yet, whether the person in question who's giving us their testimony, whether they saw the miracle legitimately, or they're lying about seeing a miracle, or they believe they saw a miracle, but they're wrong, the testimony may look the same. And it's especially hard to tell the difference uh, when we're decades or even centuries removed from that event and can't question the person directly. To borrow from Hume, no testimony is sufficient to establish a miracle unless the falsehood of that testimony would be more miraculous than the miracle it's trying to establish. So because of this, I think it's going to be very difficult to establish that a miracle, uh, sorry, that a miraculous event from the distant past actually happened. I think it could be done in principle, but in practice, I don't think we're likely to actually have the kind of evidence we would need. Um, now, most of what I just said applies to the flashier sorts of miracles, your resurrections, your divine healings, your waters into wines, that sort of thing. And uh, if that sort of stuff happened, you'd know that it's it's definitely not natural. It's some kind of supernatural thing, right? Uh, but that's not the only kind of miracle that one could imagine. Uh, as Dale alluded to, uh, you could imagine um, that God does something natural or causes something natural to happen in just such a way to fit his plans. So an auspicious solar eclipse or a meteor impact that destroys a particularly sinful city or whatever, something like that. These are things that could have happened naturally, but they happen out of time or place or in a manner that is suggestive to someone who's watching. Um, and so in these cases, it might actually be very easy to establish that the event occurred. We might have archaeological evidence. Uh, if it happened in the present day, we might have newspaper articles and videos and all sorts of cool stuff. Unfortunately, at that point, that's where you really run into that second hurdle, showing that God was the cause. This really isn't a problem for those flashy miracles. Like if, you know, a dude like multiplies fish or like gets up from the dead, you probably get something for free you know you may wonder which which god it is but something's happening right uh but if something occurs that is consistent with natural laws and could have happened even if god didn't exist well why not just go with that then why add extra fundamental layers to reality to explain something that evidently already has a perfectly valid explanation now i'm not the first one to note this problem and some apologists have offered a potential solution that Dale included in his opening. Uh, if an unlikely event occurred in a context charged with religious significance, that's how Mike Lacona puts it, uh, then that should give us confidence that it was indeed a miracle. What counts as a context charged with religious significance is kind of squishy, uh, but I, I take it to mean something like the resurrection that happened at the end of Jesus' ministry, where like that would point towards a specific God or perhaps a prayer group beseeching God for intervention, and then that intervention happens, stuff like that. And I think this idea has some merit, but I don't think it's particularly useful for establishing whether or not a miracle happened. We have to remember that for every context charged with religious significance that has or is alleged to have had something remarkable occur, there are going to be countless others that go on without anything having happened at all. There's all for every prayer meeting that ends up in a miraculous healing, there's many, many, many more that didn't. And so we should be careful to avoid confirmation bias by ignoring all of the misses and only looking at the hits. Now I know Dale isn't focused on divine healings, uh, but I think it's helpful to just like illustrate this point. Imagine someone prays for their loved one to recover from cancer, say, 
and then it, next week it goes into spontaneous remission. That is a low probability event. It happened in a religious context. You know, all checks all the boxes. But what if almost every person who has cancer has someone praying for them? Well, in that case, it's only a matter of time before one of those prayers works, right? Uh, if you pray often enough for the same thing, that can happen. Eventually, it's going to happen after you prayed. Uh, but nobody's going to tell stories about all those prayers, you know, that didn't work. <laughs> They're going to tell stories about the one that did, right? That's just human nature. Uh, likewise, religion is widespread among humans. And so there's going to be a lot of religiously significant context for stuff to happen in. Uh, and that's true whether or not God is acting. So... All that said, uh, I think the criteria would be useful uh, if you were just trying to figure out who got credit once you've established a God happened. And Dale kind of alluded to this, where it's like, who, which, which religion, which God should you apportion this this to? So if we were somehow able to show this is a miracle, it couldn't have happened naturally or whatever, whatever criteria we want to say, yes, check it's a miracle. Who should we be praising? Then at that point, I think it would be reasonable to say, well, if it happened in the Christian context, like Jesus' resurrection, that would point towards the Christian God more than, say, Odin. Uh, you, I, you couldn't necessarily rule out that like another like trickster God was involved or something, but I'd be, I would be happy to go with the more obvious conclusion unless I had reason not to. Um, so. I've got another reason why I think we should prefer natural explanations to supernatural ones. Uh, it's not very sophisticated. They just have a better track record. The past is absolutely littered with phenomena that have been credited to supernatural beings from earthquakes to volcanoes, to the motions of the stars. In each and every instance of these things, there's been a point in history where humans have looked at that, didn't understand it, and they credited some deity with that. And in all of those instances, the explanation has gone from miracle to natural. Never once has the reverse occurred. Uh, now, this doesn't mean that that trend is guaranteed to continue, uh, that that is not a guarantee of future success. Perhaps all of those other times that miracles were a trip were given as the reason or whatever, that was a mistake. But this time it's real. This time we got it right. That is certainly a thing that can happen. But I think this history would we'd be well advised to remain skeptical um, and, and again, to have that low prior. So to sum up. Genuine miracles are rare if they happen at all. Miracle claims are often mistaken, and accepting miracles if you don't already believe in a deity requires accepting a fundamentally different reality, and so we should require excellent evidence in order to accept that. The testimony of an individual or small group of individuals alone cannot be, uh, by itself, cannot be that excellent evidence that we need because there's always going to be other more plausible explanations. And unfortunately, that's the only type of evidence we are likely to have for miracles in the distant past. For miracles that could have happened naturally, but are alleged to be events that are guided by God for whatever purpose that uh, he or she had, um, we should avoid adding complications. If we have a natural explanation, just go with a natural explanation. Excuse me. Finally, remember, and I know Dale knows this, but for I, I get this kind of comment all the time. We'd want to avoid uh, being hasty to plug God into any hole in our knowledge. I don't know what caused this doesn't mean, therefore, we do know, and what caused it was God, right? Sometimes I don't know just means I don't know. And that's it. All right, excellent. Um, perfect. So, okay, yeah, so I'm not going to write it down, but yeah, so I think I think what we can do now at this point, may, maybe just do some 
uh, time period, like quick cross-examine or just kind of ask each other questions about our cases. So yeah, let me let me start with your your opening case. So okay, so two points that you made uh, totally agree with, right? So the, the first one I agree with is your last one about God of the gaps reasoning is wrong. Um, look, I don't know, uh, just means you don't know. You, you can't say, I don't know, therefore, and then infer God. Uh, but I would, uh, okay, so this is cross-examine. Would you also agree that naturalism of the gaps um, is just as fallacious reasoning? So maybe, uh, I think it's a little bit different because we both agree that the natural world exists to some extent. There may be more to it than that. Um, but we can agree that there are natural laws that usually apply and you know, things tend to work that way. And so that would kind of be my default position for anything is to go with what was already established. Um, so to the extent that either gets to be a default, it seems like the natural explanation would get to be that default because it's extremely well established. That said, I don't know doesn't mean therefore it's natural. It means I don't know. It's just not going to sway me away from my natural worldview because it's i don't know <laughs> gotcha all right cool um and the the other point that you um so you are apparently the alpha and omega it was the first point you made so this is absolutely correct that uh look my argument here for miracles presupposes and assumes that god exists and and that's why that's premise one in my argument that that's foundational kind of thing i've got to we've got to do the work uh because you're not going to just take my word for it um well, I'm the moderator, so you'll do what I say. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure after you're off the show, you'll uh, yeah, that guy's full of cheat. Well, don't uh, worry, I'm gonna post this on my own channel, edited heavily. So okay. <laughs> good, good. I would expect no less. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so it's total. There's no question. You're just totally right there. Um, do you understand um, when I say God? It's it's also a specific type of God, um, namely minimally. He's a real maximally great being so he's as mm. all of the great making properties to the maximal calm possible degree um you give me that my argument can follow um would you i think that if you can come to the table uh with the existence of a deity even if you don't know which one already established well then the prior for probability for miracles goes way up because you've got a mechanism for it right like mm -hmm. if we know that god exists and god is has the power at least even if perhaps not the inclination but at least has the capability to intervene in nature well then it's just a question of whether or not he did in this particular instance well, that's that's a way different question you know like let, let me so this isn't relevant to my case but just out of curiosity if you don't mind me asking let me flip it around because there are theists I, I i'm not sure i agree with this approach but there are theists you know lydia mcgrew or tim mcgrew where there's this argument, they don't assume God exists, but they say that miracles can prove God exists. It's an argument for God from miracles. I, I don't do that in my approach, but what are your kind of thoughts on that? Do you think that there's any merit to that? I, th I think there could be in principle. Um, I can imagine if, if God is you know, maximally great and can do whatever he wants, then again, I'm not, I don't go along with uh, Matt Dillahunty and others who are like, you know, imagine like God wrote a Bible verse on the moon. Like, well, I would assume I'm hallucinating. Like, come on, like, let's be real here. Like yes. if like, yes, it could be like, and again, if I was the only one who saw it, 
then maybe I'm who is stating, right? Yeah. And like maybe if me and my other buddies also kind of all saw it and we agreed, okay, maybe we're who is standing. But if like the entire planet sees this thing and then we send a rocket out there and it's there, like at some point I just have to accept that the reality I'm experiencing is real and just go with it, right? So like I could imagine there are miracles such that it would be authenticating for a deity or at the very least that there's more to reality than we currently understand, right? Yeah. Uh Unfortunately, I don't think we get those, <laughs> at least okay. not not in modern times. Um, and again, because of the not exactly Hume's objection, but kind of similar, um, I I'm very skeptical of our capability to establish miracles like that in the past. Well, a miracle like that would be you get it, though, like, yeah, it's very difficult to establish miracles in the past because we just don't have access to the kind of evidence we'd need. Yeah, that is, so that is some excellent segue because that was the next uh, point that I wanted to kind of probe you a little bit on. So, okay, so so in the first place, you you kind of are giving an objection to against a specific type of, of miracle or a subset, right? Like one's religion authenticating miracles that are from the distant past, and the only evidence we have are is testimonial evidence. So, um, again, you give other reasons, but like, obviously you're kind of open, open then to saying well, this objection doesn't say anything about, well, what about uh, maybe we don't need to rely on testimony. God gives a miracle for every generation or something like that. And so it, it, depending on the nature of the miracle, you might still need it today. Like for instance, I've got all kinds of people who have told me that, you know, God healed my cousin of this thing, or, you know, you know, I, my brother's hairdresser's whatever saw this like that's also testimony like i have th mm. that doesn't do anything for me you know okay um so if if the miracle is being attested just by testimonies a story someone is telling me then that's never going to be enough for me to believe if it's like an individual um okay. and i mentioned the past just because when it comes to the past that is the only thing we're likely to ever have whereas if it happens in the present we're much more likely to be able to possibly get better evidence um i don't think though that this is like in principle the only evidence we could have had so for example um suppose that the mormons are kind of close to right and jesus went on a, like a road trip after his resurrection and like went around and like went up to every single person on the planet shook their hand and said hey i'm jesus i'm your lord and savior and had a conversation and mm -hmm. like that that was reported like across the whole planet about the same time even with unconnected cultures i'd be convinced that would convince me right like obviously we don't have that and we're not likely to have that um so I, I i don't go as far as hume well i'm not sure if this is exactly what Hume's saying what i don't go as far as people say hume goes and says like never ever could you ever have a testimony that's sufficient i lean on the one phrase he gives which the miraculous nature of the testimony being wrong would have to be more than the miracle if every single person on the planet testified to the same thing that'd be more miraculous to me um right let me let me probe this a bit and um I, I might have to because there's been work by philosophers on the epistemology of testimony mm -hmm. and um there are two main views right so you seem david hume and yourself seem to be advocating for a reductionist understanding right so testimony just testimony isn't to be believed as evidence uh unless you have non-testimonial reasons for justifying your belief in that testimony. So you need you need some kind of independent testimony, independent evidence first. 
Uh, other philosophers, uh, myself included, I take a non-reductionist stance. So this testimony is just is another basic element of evidence, right? So it's it's to be believed unless it is defeated in some way. Um, so yeah, I guess I don't know if you've heard about this debate at all, but like, yeah, why, why are so, you assuming a reductionist? So I understand that like most of the knowledge I have came to me via testimony in some way or another via a teacher or some scientist telling me the in his results and I didn't look at it myself. So I, I get all that. Um, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. Okay. But um, if we're looking for the most probable explanation for the evidence we have before us, it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm saying it's testimony, therefore it's not to be believed. I'm saying I've been given this evidence. It happens to be testimonial evidence. What are the possible explanations that I could have for the evidence that I have? And one explanation is that this testimony of, let's just use the resurrection just as a, as a potential thing. That yeah. what one explanation that I have, this person that says they saw someone rise from the dead is that they saw the person rise from the dead. That's one explanation. But I also have competing explanations that they're lying for whatever reason, that they are mistaken. They thought they saw it, but they're wrong or, you know, whatever. There's a whole suite of other options. And only one of them requires me to add a fundamental layer to reality, right? Whereas the other ones only have humans doing things humans do. And so it's not like I'm not trying to put testimony like its own special, unreliable class. I'm saying that because of the nature of testimony and the nature of human beings, you know, gotcha. Yeah, I think just just to kind of back you up. So so I would I would disagree about I think that testimony nine times out of 10 is is reliable eight times out of 10, let's say, um, it is reliable as a general category. But in the specific case, in specific cases, such as the one we're talking about, miracle, miracle testimony, I think it does come attached with certain inherent defeaters because we have this precedent of so many counterfeits out there that which was another point you made and and stuff like that so there are inherent defeaters that those in turn need to be defeated and that's why i've given my criteria as a defeater defeater um so to speak if that does that make sense or am i talking gibberish yeah i understand cool um okay so there's another point but i can't read it because of my glass uh rare oh rare event religion authenticating events are rare events miracles are rare is what i said Even miracles are rare. authentic yeah yeah so okay so um i i guess my my kind of thoughts uh, not to be ruder is like well no duh like what why does that matter because um they are inherently supposed to be rare events right especially if we're talking about specifying religion authenticating of events pre presumably there's only one religion that is divine revelation we would expect, I, I would argue, um, and I'll ask you your thoughts, but I, I would say we would expect them to be rare because they have to serve as signs and wonders, something extraordinary that we don't see every day that's signifying this this religion, follow, follow it, and you go, wow, okay, I'm going to pay attention to this. So wouldn't we expect it to be a rare event? I'm not convinced that we would necessarily. Um because, so I can imagine that if a deity had as, as a goal to make sure that everybody knew who he was so that they that every person had the ability to follow them because you couldn't follow some, someone you have no reason to think exists, right? Mm -hmm. um, I could certainly imagine a world where every single person has a direct experience with this deity 
and it happens all the time. Like it's not like he's on a you know calling plan. He can only call so often. You know, he can do it as often as he wants. You know, mm-hmm. and so every single one of us gets a doubting Thomas demonstration. And maybe some people are like, you know what, you're real, and I think you're a dick, and I'm not going to follow you. Okay, cool. Like, fine, I get it. And I could also understand if perhaps God was like, well. I'm God. So I know that if I did it and showed you, you still wouldn't follow me. So it's not worth my time. I'm not sure I'm going to go all the way there, but okay, fair enough. If that's the case in that case, still, I would expect it to be way less fair than it is. Surely there are at least some people who haven't had a divine experience who would have benefited by benefit. I mean, they would have believed had they had it right. So I, I don't necessarily think that the fact that it's rare, like I can see the logic but I don't think it's a given. Like, gotcha. Like you're you're kind of hinting that it's not that it, it's it's rare or less frequent compared to ordinary natural events, but it it's that it's for you. It might be too infrequent. Like maybe there should be three instead of two instances. Or well, something. that that wasn't the thing I was exactly saying. But like, oh. I I don't think it's necessarily a given that that miracles ought to be like that. We should expect them to be rare if God existed. I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, but okay. what I was saying is basically if I'm confronted with like someone saying this thing happened to me and it's a very rare thing, whether it's a miracle or not, if it's a thing that almost never happens, then mm-hmm. all else being equal. And I don't mean that by like the the mundane kind of rare where like I had a license plate that said ABC instead of CBD, like, you know, whatever, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, but like someone says they won the lottery, right? that this individual person winning the lottery would be a very rare event. And so like, I'm going to need some evidence for that. Now, if you said someone won the lottery, well, that's not rare at all. Like people win the lottery all the time. So like, you know, let me, okay. Well, just to do what, this will be my last and then I'll give you the reins to kind of probe me or grill me. But this, this was uh so this kind of, what you just said kind of reminds me a bit of a, an objection an atheist gives it was a bit of a more nuanced one for the low prior prob where he's 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 trying to establish well look god's mo appears to be his modus operandi is that he wants the universe to in general be governed by a certain ordinary natural events and natural laws this provides predictability and that sort of thing so i i just wanted to kind of co-op this like what wouldn't that kind of um mitigate against what you're saying if if god did want the universe to obey natural laws for certain other purposes. And he did, obviously he wanted those events to be miracle events to be the extreme exception because in general, human beings, we are designed, we need that regularity for to live out our, our days and stuff like that. So couldn't, couldn't sort of a divine psychology MO be co-opted to, to kind of counter what you were saying there. Well, I mean, it could certainly explain it, but now you have to add that also into your model. Now it's no longer just a maximally great being, unless you could somehow work your way from maximally great to that. Um, then it's no longer just a maximally great being. It's maximally great being that also wants the world to work this way. So like, yeah, you could work your model to to accommodate that for sure. But like any model can accommodate any fact if you're willing to you know, throw it enough into your presuppositions, right? So like that would necessarily reduce it from just mere whatever probability a mere maximally great being has a maximally great being with another feature is going to be a subset of that probability. Right. 
Yeah, um, yep. I think that's a fair, fair point. So, all right, cool. Um, so, yeah, let me be fair here as the moderator and over to you. You take over and uh, do you have questions or probing um, insights about my case? Yeah. So at one point you mentioned um, that you think that God wants a maximum number of people to obtain their purpose. Um, and I take that in this case, their purpose is that um, they come to a relationship with this deity probably something like that. Um, and he doesn't want undue confusion. So when you say undue confusion, what does that look like to you? What are you trying to communicate? Yeah, so so essentially in, in the context of this, uh, one example of undue confusion that's relevant to here would be, so let, let's say we do have an event that fulfills all my criteria for being a religion authenticating event. So for example, the Shroud of Turin, right? I, I'm a reasonable real seeker and I bought into this. I think it does fulfill those criteria. And on that basis, I'm I'm concluding, yep, God wants me to follow uh, Christianity because that's the religion, the Shroud evidence or the historical evidence for the resurrection, whatever the example is. So I, I'm now committing to that religion, believing God has endorsed it in order for me to achieve my ultimate purpose. Now, if that's not true, if Christianity is a bunch of horse manure and he's allowed me to be confused in this way, well, that's that's hindering unjustifiably on God's part, hindering me from achieving my ultimate purpose. I shouldn't be following this religion. I have to follow a different religion or perhaps no religion at all to achieve that. So, so that's what I would call undue confusion. It's confusion. And it's undue on God. God should have prevented me from being confused in that way. Okay. So this seems to be kind of skirting on the edges of kind of like a divine hiddenness sort of uh, argument, which for anyone who's not familiar is basically the observation, they say, at least the argument goes, that God is hidden from most people. Um, or at least some number of people. There are people who are the wording is non-resistant, non-believer. They would believe if they had sufficient evidence. They don't have that evidence. And, you know, so why is God withholding the evidence, basically, is the way it goes. And so it seems to me like you're saying that there, if God is the kind of being to intervene in the world and provide these signs of wonders to people, and he, and he also wants a maximum number of people to get to this purpose, it seems like you're saying there are no non-resistant non-believers. Pretty much, yeah. I, I would call them reasonable real seekers, but exa exactly right, right? Like the, my, this argument for, from this is pre this uh, presupposition here is premise nine in my 11 premise argument, where obviously I argue for it, but I'm co-opting an atheist argument. Uh, um, I think uh, Michael Martin as is the guy who first did it, or Theodore Drange also did it, right? So this this was an an atheist argument that basically said there there's certain forms of confusion in the world. If God exists, he couldn't allow for this type of confusion, but it exists. Therefore, God doesn't exist. So I've kind of co-opted that and said, well, I'm going to use this insight because I think you're right that there are some forms of confusion that is undue. Um, and I, yeah, I've used that to say, well, look, if, if there is a religion authenticating event that fulfills the criteria I've set up, there's no way God could allow that for a religion that's not conducive to me achieving my ultimate purpose. He, at, at least right now, he wants me to follow Christianity. So I agree that uh, a good God wouldn't allow that confusion. And, you know, 
I guess the where I disagree is that I think it he clearly has maybe not in your life, but certainly in other people's lives. Like there's all kinds of people who don't believe in a deity, and I, I just find it it seems to beggar belief that of the billions of people, whichever deity is is right, there's the majority of people don't believe in that one, whichever one it is, right? And so it seems to me just beyond the pale to suggest that each and every single one of those people is a resistant non-believer. Like not, not a single one of them would come to belief if they were given some kind of sign or wonder. Like I, I can't say, I, I guess I, I don't have access to their brains to say for sure. It's just, yeah. man, that seems like a big ask. <laughs> You know, you know what though? I, I, yeah, I, I don't find that convincing at all because I, I do think it's very, I, I mean, it, it's, it's really, really hard to be a re reasonable, real seeker. Um, I can't, even I myself, some struggle. It's a constant struggle. I, I do think, um, again, speaking as, as a Christian a bit because of sin, but I, I regardless of whether that's true or not, the, most human beings are not reasonable, real seekers. If you get right into the nitty gritty, I mean, it's easy to say like, oh yeah, I'm open to evidence and stuff. But uh, again, it, yeah, it, you have to get into the psychology and really evaluate, are I mean, you actually that or not? And I, I think far less people than you think are, are actually qualified. But let me give you something here that I, sorry, you wanted to interrupt. I was no, going to- No, 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 go, go ahead, go ahead. But I will agree with you because I think that it is possible. And, and so I, okay, so I suck. I should have qualified this um, because I think that it is possible at certain times there could be reasonable real seekers and yet God hasn't uh, revealed the truth or, or revealed himself to these people. He hasn't done his duty, at least for certain times. There, for about uh, eight years, I was a non-Christian. I, I didn't know that Christianity was true. But there were at points during that time, at least, where I was a reasonable real seeker, and yet God didn't do it. So I, I do qualify in that and say that, well, he has to do, he has to reveal the truth to people before the point of no return, before that point at which you will not be able to achieve your ultimate purpose. And that can allow us up to the point of death, uh, maybe arguably even after death, people are given an opportunity. So there is that qualification. So I, I, I never want to say that, yeah, well, no one's a reasonable real seeker. Well, I thought I was. And for years, I didn't know that Christianity was true. So yeah, there could be some out there, but far less than I think we, we, you seem to imply. Well, even if it's far less, if there's one, all it requires is one. Yeah. And then at least God at that point, isn't maximally great. He might be really, really great but he's not maximally great if he's like, if there's even one person um, and that's, that's like going all that way. doesn't work for me, but uh, so you did mention that you think that there's a, a cutoff. So I assume you're not some, uh, a universalist, for example, no. that would think that everyone gets saved. So like there is at some point, whether death or some point beyond it, where you can't go and it would be, so am I characterizing you correctly that you think even if it happens after death, every person is given sufficient evidence to come to belief if they wish to. Would that be accurate? Every person, not necessarily is given 
well, yeah, I guess as a Christian, eventually on the day of judgment, they will be given um, sufficient evidence for sure, but not not necessarily, right? So I'm, they, it's not about giving evidence. They will be given their fair shot to freely choose to be a, a real seeker. And at that point, then yes, God is obligated to give them the evidence. So they can choose to be, fulfill those criteria to be a real seeker or not. Um, one, the other thing I just wanted to reply is, um, again, though, re remember, I, I get what you're saying about God not being maximally great. If, look, we should at all times be all reasonable real seekers at well, all times. Oh. It's not even at all times. Like, I, I could understand if for whatever inscrutable reason, you know, he waits 10 years to tell Bob, but tell Sally today, like, okay, fine. Okay. But you'd have to believe that no reasonable seeker, no, not resistant non-believer, not, not a single one of those makes it to whatever the point of no return is without being given their fair shot. Like you described it. Um, yes, and, yeah. and it has to be a hundred percent of those yeah, because Otherwise, it's not maximally. But then you get into things like the geographic distribution of religions. Uh, it, it would seem, if let's say Christianity is true, that where you happen to be born seems to be a huge factor as to whether or not you are a Christian. And it, it seems implausible to me that people in India are just intrinsically less likely to be non-resistant non-believers. Apparently, they're all like pig-headedly stubborn because... If they've all been, like, if everybody gets this fair shot, why is is religion so like clustered? You know, it, it, that doesn't seem to to jive with what we know about humans. It's not like it's not like people from India or China or Saudi Arabia are intrinsically less reasonable than anybody else. Yeah, so so I, I think this is right. So this is why I think you have to adopt a religious inclusivist perspective, at least on the topic of soteriology. Um, so people, let's let's just take people who've never heard the name Jesus. Um, they they could be reasonable real seekers and still be saved. Um, so at, th at this point, your question will be, well, then why is divine revelation necessary? If you can be, if you can achieve your ultimate purpose without the divine revelation, you don't need it. Um, so I think it's true, but it's still needed. Remember, God's ultimate purpose is, from a Christian standpoint, to for as many people as as possible many reasonable real seekers as possible and in order to maximize that number he knows divine revelation is needed for me in order for me to achieve my ultimate purpose and you know the most number of people in all of creation over all of time divine revelation was needed but there are certain people it wasn't needed to because i don't know like there's people living before jesus even existed they don't need to believe jesus rose from the dead or there's people who've never heard of jesus they they can be saved um, and still. There's, a, there's a great sketch I saw where a guy is like mission mission goes to like an uncontacted tribe and they like, oh, this thing He's like, so I have to believe in this guy to be saved and go to heaven. It's like, yeah. Well, what happens if you hadn't come? Well, you go to heaven. Well, then why did you come? Like, I would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it, but it's not that it's not that simple, right? Because, again, even these people, they always have this goal. They have to be reasonable. They have to be a real seeker um, in order to be saved. And even in these tribes, like, like how many of these people are actually real seekers and stuff. So it, it may be the only way to save some in that tribe is God knew, well, someone had to preach Christianity to those guys at that so, time. So just to be clear, you're saying that um, while I, I presume you think being Christian gives guarantees your trip, 
you can be non-Christian and still be saved, even if you've like through whatever metric God chooses to judge people by. Yep. Well, that blunts the uh, objection. I don't think it a hundred percent solves it because like, if there's still an advantage given to Christians, like if being Christianity sets you up more for success, then you're still like, there seems to be unequal opportunity being given, but at least it's not a difference between a hundred and zero. <laughs> so <laughs> at least you bridge the gap something. There um, take it. Uh, well, so we've gone a little, so we, we went into some God's character thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, but since we're talking about miracles, you presupposed, uh, for your argument that God exists and then you, you know, went on the priors from there. Yeah. So would you agree that, um, if you don't already believe God exists, that, you know, that the evidence we have is insufficient to get you to a miracle, that you'd have to come to the conclusion that God exists for some other reason. Is that what you're trying to say or not? Absolutely. Yeah. If we, if we are not warranted in believing, uh, this is premise one in my argument, right? So, but here I'm just treating it as a presupposition for our debate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. If, if, if you don't believe in God, game over. The, everything I just said is, is, I mean, who, who's the designer then, right? So like, yeah, the, the whole thing falls apart um, if, if God doesn't exist. So are you saying then that you would disagree with uh, the McGrew approach that miracles uh, should get you to faith? Is that what you're saying? Uh, get you to faith in God, you mean? Or? Yeah, yeah. I like like may maybe, maybe you believe in like some, I don't know, like what's the role miracle plays, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at in your mind. I, I, I think so. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm kind of on your side. Like, okay, I'm open to the argument for God for miracles, but it, it hasn't worked for me. I haven't been persuaded by it. And so I'm a little bit skeptical of, of whether that you can establish God in general's existence uh, from, from the evidence for miracles, um, because then you, you do get into issues of prior probability perhaps and stuff like that. So it, I just find it works better. Look, let's establish God exists and this will help us out a heck of a lot when we're dealing with like the prior probability issue and stuff. Well, honestly, I think that's the entire issue. Like if someone wants to say, um, I can establish miracles, but only if you agree that God exists and the evidence for miracles aren't going to get you there, we'll have to get you there some other way. I'm totally down with that. Like if you, if, if I believed that the Christian God exist existed, well then the resurrection like is there. And even if I wasn't sure which God it was, but like, okay, the supernatural exists. I don't know exactly its nature. That still in my mind would raise the prior tremendously. Right. Agreed. But, uh, but one thing, yeah, again, remember, I'm not, I, I'm not assuming the Christian God because it, my argument here is that the purpose of miracles, or in this case, what I'm calling religion authenticating miracles is to tell us, is it the Christian God? Is it the Muslim God? Is, is it the Hindu God or, or is it no God? Like it, it may come out, God, God exists, but he hasn't revealed anything to anyone. So like, okay. that to, yeah. All right. I, I buy that, that, um, if the evidence for miracles is insufficient to get you to a God belief, but miracles could help you to discriminate between different gods is for sure. okay. Um, so I, I believe I heard you say this in the video I watched, but, 
Um, that was like three years ago. So just in case you've changed your mind or whatever, okay. uh, you've mentioned You're asking uh, me to be consistent. What's wrong with you? Come on. Now. <laughs> no, no, you definitely could have. <laughs> if you had, if you had an interview with me from ten years ago, I was a completely different person. So, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't so think I was even an atheist at that point. So, uh, very oh, different wow. person. Uh, but in any case, um, so miracles from other faiths. Um, okay. Different faith traditions have their own miracle stories. And if I recall correctly, you said that um, if so, you you could accept that some of them might be authentic and either um, it be the case like Islam where like it works for both or um, it could be done by Satan or some kind of being. Is that still accurate? Um. So, so I don't think so if there's a religion authenticating miracle. I don't think it can work for for both. So maybe you're just missed. there's a question of which one gets it right. Um, you may have been talking about just miracles in general, and not specifically miracle religious religion oh, authenticating miracles. Yeah, I, I think that miracles of compassion can happen to atheists or to other religions, and in fact, in some cases, I think they probably have. Um, I can cite some examples that I think, you know, for example, from Lords. Um, there's some cases, just a handful where I'm like, yeah, I think something happened here maybe. And, uh, yeah, so God can do miracles for any religious or even non-religious proponent for different reasons. But if, if it's for the purpose of a religion authenticating one, it dang well better, better be one, unless some kind of weird religious pluralism is true in that case, I don't know what I'm doing. So, <laughs> well, it seems though that uh, even like a religion of like a, a miracle doesn't necessarily have to fit in only one category. If uh, if it's a, a act of compassion and God cures someone with cancer, but He cured it for a Hindu person who uh, conducted whatever rituals prescribed by their tradition, and God is like, I you know have compassion for this person. I'm gonna boom. There you go. Like you're wrong about your beliefs, but I'm gonna grant your wish. Wouldn't that serve the purpose of mistakenly authenticating that person's belief in the wrong deity? It seems like you could run into trouble there. Um. So so so. Okay. No. I, I, your question, I think, is let's say God had multiple purposes, multiple specifications to use intelligent design thing. One was for the purpose of compassion. Hey, God is caring and loving. He, he loves this um, this guy. And additionally, he's also authenticating a given religion, such as, you know, it, Jesus healing someone. Okay, well, mm -hmm. Jesus is a religious founder, the religious founder of Christianity. And, and this particular miracle happens in the, the Bible, which is said to be inspired, the inspired text of Christianity or something like that. You could make the argument, as long as it fulfills these criteria, um, then you would, yeah, that would, that is entirely possible and not really a problem it doesn't lead to confusion right um because you still have yeah it can well, serve. go ahead it doesn't if like jesus is doing it and he's the actual like like he's correct but i'm talking like you were mentioning doing miracles for people in other religions um wouldn't that run the risk of authenticating their mistaken belief like because what they saw the person who's a hindu saw i prayed to my hindu deity or deities yeah. and got a thing that that would seem to authenticate their belief, but that's authenticating the wrong belief. 
Um, so, so that I think is very loosey-goosey, right? So I, I think that you could prove that it's sufficiently attached to a religion. If, if you're a Hindu and, and you're praying to a Hindu God and then you get healed, um, I think it would have to be especially right away, right? Like I, you gave one example where you wait a week. That's even more tenuous. Let's just say it happens instantly okay. the, the moment you pray just to, I think you could prove that that's sufficiently attached to the religion, but it, it's questionable. Does it actually serve to authenticate? You, you'd have to, you know, because again, that could be a, easily be a miracle of compassion and we can't get inside God's head. I just know, Hey, I prayed to the Hindu God and I'm healed. And the Hindu God can heal me without saying necessarily that he's, that he's real or that the Hindu religion is real. Or well, the, Hin the Hindu God. So what, I don't have access to God's goals or whatever. Like maybe when he did this, it wasn't the purpose. God's purpose was not to authenticate any religion. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm just viewing it. Like if I pray to a deity and then boom, I get the thing. I could totally see that that would increase my confidence and apparently increase my confidence in the wrong thing, whether or not that was the goal of the deity or not. I've been the deity's action gave me mistaken information, but or I, I I I don't think it's unreasonable to interpret that in in the wrong way, you know. Um, and so, wouldn't that seem to lead to that confusion that the deity is supposed to be trying to avoid? So I think in in that case, this is where the a uniqueness criterion could come in to play, even for the the lesser standard of of the reasonable. Uh, real seeker. Yeah, I think, I think, okay, maybe the very close association and the fact that you specifically prayed to a specific God. Okay, let, let's say for the sake of argument that a uh, real seeker would be reasonable in saying, well, that that is serving to authenticate Hinduism. But then the reasonable real seeker is still uh, obligated to find out, well, is this event unique for specifically this Hindu God? And that's where they're going to find out, no, it, it this happens for Christians praying to the Christian God for Muslims that there are abundance of things. And, and in that way, I think the reasonable real seeker would say, well, I don't, I don't think we can establish this is serving to authenticate. It's, you know, so, something extraordinary happened. Um, I was healed after in a religious context. Um, but we, yeah, like, because it's not unique to one religion, we can't say it's an authenticating thing because yeah. Okay. So you would say that, um, people who use miracles that are not, we'll say generic miracles because they happen in multiple traditions, that um, they would be incorrect in using that as evidence to differentiate their religion because other traditions have those stories as well. Would that be? The, uh, well, just to qualify, so, and it's it's not just that they have the stories, that's irrelevant, but it, I'm presuming they, they have they have the, the events. Provable yeah. examples like that this actually happened in a different religious tradition that would be okay um i i guess it, it still seems like i don't know like i get what you're saying like ideally the person would say well yeah i was i i did this i prayed to that deity i was healed but maybe it's some other deity that just had pity on me even though i'm wrong like that is a place where you can go there but it, it seems to me like god would owe that person some more like help because like i don't know i, I don't want to get hung up on it it just seems like um if that happened to me like 
I get Christians who tell me all the time, like why they believed uh, that there's a guy I used to talk to Titus used to be on the show. And one of the, uh, one of the, the things he'd give, he'd give miraculous healings of people he knew. And this is why I believe in the Christian God. And, you know, so clearly there are people who take these generic miracles as, um, as authentication. Now, perhaps that's not the most rigorous thing to do, but in some sense, it seems like God has to meet us where we are, you know, like not every person is necessarily the most, you know, rigorous person. I, I agree. But I, I think, again, you have, there is a, it's a semi-objective standard. There is some element of relativism where I would agree with you that this is why I'm kind of doing it. Uh, not everyone's the most rigorous, but I would still argue that's being un, unreasonable, I think, because I think the reasonable person, legal definition, the average, average person, average intelligence, that they would be aware of other religions and similar claims. And this this should prompt the reasonable person to at least ask the question and do some appropriate level of investigation for whatever their abil best abilities are. And if that happens, I think they'll discover that, yeah, there are at least one or two, or at least God's obligated to help them to discover that there are at least one or two if this isn't a religion authenticating event. So... Uh, just to get to a point of agreement, um, would you agree that um, miraculous healings in and of themselves are not good candidates for a uh, uh, religion? I forget your exact terms. The authenticating miracle. I think I, I think I do agree with that because I I do see cases that I'm convinced fulfill this this chart for being a, com a complex or extraordinary event in different religious traditions. So I, I'm not sure we can establish that miracle healings authenticate a given religion. Um, okay. Uh, I've got one other thing uh, that's a bit of a minor point, uh, but you, you mentioned, uh, I think it's even on this slide, yeah, uh, that the events um, in question would not be possible, would be extremely unlikely or whatever, sufficiently unlikely mm -hmm. to uh not be possible or whatever under currently well-known slash established mechanisms yeah um now i i agree that um, we can't be held responsible like you shouldn't have to posit exotic fundamentally different physics you know um like yeah. for example the the whole rearranging the stars in the sky perhaps there's some exotic physics that could explain that but that seems like well beyond the pale right well here's an example i'll just throw in a quick example like so here's here's an example where the relativity might come in right for the reasonable real see i don't think any reasonable real seeker in the year 1700 had to consider quantum physics physics explanations they they just couldn't it would have been impossible to do that Although I, I would say that perhaps the reasonable real seeker today is obligated to consider those to the best of their ability um, today kind of thing, because, well, quantum physics, at least in some kind of vague sense, it is well known and well established that there's quantum weirdness. So that would just give an example of where there could be relativity there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that somebody you can be a reasonable, rational person doing good skepticism still come to wrong conclusions if you just don't have access to the full information. Uh, so like if somebody is in the wrong conclusion because in 1700, because they need quantum mechanics to come to the right conclusion, it's not their fault. But um, I, I guess I would only get, draw a caution 
under the well-known or well-established because like you said, physics is constantly changing. And mm -hmm. so for, I, you had to be, I think, tread carefully with the well-established thing, because for example, uh, abiogenesis, the mechanism behind that is not well-established. It's still an unknown, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's different in character or degree, at least to something like, I don't know, something that would explain a regrown arm that would like violate thermodynamics. Like that's a very different thing to, we have some pieces that might suggest a solution, but it's not well-established. We could be wrong. You know, I, I think it, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I would just caution people to like say, to, to avoid falling into a God of the gaps where they're like, playing around the edges of our known understanding versus like something that would contradict our understanding. Like if something would like completely, if something would completely violate the second law of thermodynamics, then that's, that's a miracle as far as I'm concerned, you know? Uh, God, yeah. It's well, I forget who said it. Was it Feynman? It's the most yeah. well-established thing. Like somebody had a good, it was uh, if, if your theory uh, contradicts Newton, you know, that's excellent. If your theory contradicts Einstein, well done. If your theory contradicts thermodynamics, I can offer you no hope. Look at this smart <laughs> man. Just knows the quote. <laughs> it's trying to look cool there, man. But um, yeah, and one thing I, I just went to, um, oh shoot, I'm forgetting it. I had a, an interesting, yeah. So what, one good point about my, uh, my 11 premise argument in general and these religion authenticating events, um, I'm very careful in my argument not to necessarily assume that the religion that God authenticates has to actually be true. Um, again, I believe that, and I believe I could argue for that, but I don't think it's necessary. So why on earth get into a debate if I don't have to? All that's needed is that God needs to accomplish this goal of as many humans achieving their ultimate purpose. And in order to do that, he just has to show us which religion he, he authenticates in the sense of endorsing, hey, at this time, Dale, this is what I want you to believe. Um, maybe 30 years from now, we learn something totally, you know, we get new, currently well-established ordinary natural mechanisms that we can't even conceive of today. And that totally explains naturally the shroud. Okay, my I will no longer be a Christian. I followed it as long as God wanted me to, to for 30 years. But now he's revealing, look, there's the shroud is not a uh, miraculous event or something like that in reality. So uh, yeah, that, I just wanted to clarify that, that in my argument here, um, I'm taking away my Christian theism and, and saying Christianity is true. I, I, all my argument here proves technically is that God endorses this religion at this time for you to follow in order to achieve your purpose. I mean, as long as he's not going to throw me in a lake of fire for all eternity for doing what he wanted me to do, then I'm fine with that, I guess. Uh, you know, I, it's not how I'd run things if I were God, but I mean, as long as everything works out in the end, I guess it's all right. Uh, um, <laughs> well, again, and that's not what I believe. Like I, I would argue, no. And and what we, what God endorses has to be true if he's a real maximum great being, but it's just that. I didn't want to assume that because it's not it's not needed. Maybe God can use false beliefs for for the sake of argument. So you mentioned the the shroud, and I don't want to derail this entire thing into a shroud of turn debate. Mm -hmm. But you you we said we came to I think an agreement earlier that um, you'd need to in order to accept miracles like we're likely to actually witness, um, you need to come with a God belief. 
would that apply in your mind to the Shroud of Turin? Of course, yeah. Um, okay. uh, there's four four reasons I came came to believe that Christianity is the religion God endorses. Um, so one was the historical evidence for the resurrection, specifically only the appearance to the uh, to the quote unquote twelve. Um, that's the only fact that I think would qualify as a religion authenticating event. All the other, the empty tomb, the other appearances, I think have equally probable ordinary natural mechanisms. The shroud is the second, the formation of the shroud's images. And then I have uh, a vindication or what I call the vindication prediction argument. Um, those are the three objective religion authenticating events. The fourth is a subjective inner witness of the Holy Spirit, which doesn't apply to this. Okay, uh, so just out of curiosity, uh, mm -hmm. without let's say you didn't have that inner witness of the Holy Spirit, would okay. that not have been enough to put you over the finish line? The sh the shroud by itself. What, the the other three factors that you mentioned, you had four factors that led you to Christianity. One of them was the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it may be difficult to parse. You may not know, but if you didn't have that, if you just had the other three, do no, you think that would have been enough? Um, so I can tell you with absolute certainty at the time of my conversion, uh, it, they would not have been enough because I, with the four factors, I was at 53.14% overall for Christianity. And I would have definitely been below 50% if you took out the inner witness of the Holy Spirit at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, where I am today, I might not need it but I haven't recalculated stuff. So I'm working on uh, updating my Shroud of Turin chapter and it's going to be stronger than where I was. I, you know, at the time I converted, it was around seven, between 67 and 72%, somewhere in that range, I believe off the top of my head. Um, but I think it would be higher now in the high seventies to early eighties, but I haven't done the calculation. So I don't know. I, I have to say that I um, definitely respect Christians who are willing to express a level of uncertainty. I think that shows um, intellectual humility and honesty. Michael Kona is another one who um, I recall has said, at least at some point in his life, I'm about 70% sure. And I remember when he, I was like, whoa, 70%. <laughs> Holy cow, that is way lower than I would have expected. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so, I get I get uh, wide eyes every time I mention the fifty three point one four two decimal places, right? So, well, yeah. I mean, technically, if you think that something's over fifty percent likely, you should believe it. Um, at least, may not believe it with a lot of confidence, but you know. Thank you. Get this pragmatic encroachment out of here. God, geez, yeah. I, I was fifty point one percent. Fifty point zero one. There's my. <laughs> yeah. There's the probability bound, right? So. Yeah. For me, I like. I, I, while well, I'd say that, yeah, if I'm, if I could calculate it to 50.1%, I'd believe it because it's over 50. However, practically speaking, I'm a squishy human and like actually getting that like number. I'd be very suspect if I came to a number of 50.1, I'd be like, mm, did I nudge the scale somehow? Like I'd be, I'd be a little, has, mm -hmm. I'd be a little skeptical of myself. But, there's always um, that standard deviation, right? So yeah, yeah, I mean, there's always source of error in whatever you're talking about. So when it comes to like the the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. um, is that something that I, I, at this point I think we basically agree on miracles? So I okay. just just <laughs> talking. <laughs> Stop sharing there, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, well, if you have something else before I like start taking us on a weird tangent. No, I think I think we covered it. I think this was was good and helpful and stuff. So. 
Yeah. So do you, with the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, is that something that you think that everybody gets? Uh, or is that something that like God parcels out according to his inscrutable purposes? Or um, So I, on one level, I believe uh, theologically that everybody gets it, right? So the Holy Spirit does have a role for uh, even unbelievers, right? And certain, I, I think the Bible says he convicts you of your your sin, right? But that you've done immoral stuff. Um, and there's a couple other things that I'm just uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember. But yeah, he does have a role for everyone. And what what essentially what he does is he plays an enabling role. But um, his ability to enable you is limited or restricted based on your free will and willingness to be a real seeker, right? So what you've got to do, if you're a real seeker, the Holy Spirit can help you out in his time. He can, um, have you seen the show with me and David Johnson, the atheist, where we, um, okay, so. we there's an inside joke, right? Where basically because of sin, I believe human beings to varying degrees are a bunch of rusty nuts. And the Holy Spirit comes around and he has rust remover or something like that, but he can only use it to the degree that you will allow him via choosing to be a real seeker. So there are some people that are just so hard of heart, he can't do anything to help you. So, you know, he, he can't enable you to believe in God or believe in Jesus or something until you, you change that. Um, so that that's the role I see there. Then if you are a reasonable real seeker and it's the appropriate time, remember God's only obligated up to the point of no return. So for me, that was May 5th, 2018. Um, then they produce properly basic beliefs that Christianity is true or whatever the proposition is, Islam is true, whatever. For me, obviously the Holy Spirit would, authenticating Christianity was true. Um, and that's in the form of a properly basic belief. So I wonder why anyone needs to be a, a reasonable real seeker at all or like have a particular like mental disposition i i i mean I, I suppose there could be somebody for whom no amount of evidence would be sufficient i mean that that may be the case uh and in which case i guess it, i guess it doesn't matter what god does um but it, it seems like if god is omniscient and omnipotent omnipotent mm -hmm. then he both knows what would convince me and is capable of giving me that evidence whatever it is and so and, and that would be the case for everyone except for this hypothetical person for whom there is nothing uh like why wouldn't he just give that to them like i don't i i don't think that is possible so one thing just to clarify because the reasonableness part even though that's an a, um a requirement for these religion Authenticating miracles, all that's required for the inner witness of the Holy Spirit is to be a real seeker. You, you don't even have, you could be the most unreasonable person on the face of the earth and the Holy Spirit can get through to you if you're spiritually receptive as a real seeker. So that, now why, why would I have to be a real seeker? Why do I have to be open-minded? Why do I have to be actively seeking? And why do I have to be willing to obey or follow the truth upon discovery? And I just argue that this kind of spiritual disposition is necessary in order for the redeeming work, in order to be redeemed or have your sins atoned for and Jesus to accomplish the sanctifying results. I, I don't think it's possible for God to just redeem you unless you have the this uh, spiritual 
disposition to receive him. So that's why. So uh, uh, another friend of mine has told me that he believes that people like don't get a doubting Thomas moment. Everybody, every person doesn't get God saying, hi, I'm God. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, you know, because he says that would take away their free will. Uh, mm. I'm just curious. And that seems ridiculous to me, but yeah. I was curious what your take was on that. Uh, totally ridiculous. Uh, so that's like Richard Swinburne's argument. Um, I, I was just talking to Tyler Vela, uh, and this was a, an objection he brain, right? So like that that version of the free will defense, no, like, no, we can have free will and, and there's and no... And have information, right? Like there's no... Yeah. Having information no... doesn't stop you from having free will. Exactly. That That's ridiculous. Yeah. Thank um, you. Maybe I should I should show my friend this clip. You know, <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, no, I think that's a terrible, yeah. terrible argument, right? I, I agree. Like it seems to me, I can certainly imagine, like, for, uh, so take me for instance. I would love it if a benevolent deity existed, particularly if that deity is going to tell me I'm never going to die because I super don't want to die. And so, like, that would be awesome. Like, I would love for that to be true. I would like to think that if this deity is actually a moral monster and it's just a just a, a demon i would like to think that i'd have the intestinal fortitude not to bow down out of just you know fear mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, so i could imagine like situations where like it, but but then like I, I i don't see how me knowing that this god exists exists means that i must therefore submit right like I could imagine situations where I'd at least want, not want to submit. So yeah, yeah, like an evil god or something like that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, I I agree with that. So perfect. Yeah, there we and, go. I mean, I guess we're just waiting for uh, God to give me my uh, dose of whatever it is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say, uh, you know, that the sign would have been if David Russell actually made it on time and showed up. But uh, yeah, that would have been a miracle. Yeah, that, that would have <laughs> Russell definitely. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. I don't know. I, th I think we kind of covered it all. Is, is there anything we, we missed? Uh, so just to summarize what I think we agreed on, mm -hmm. uh, that miracles by themselves um, are not going to be sufficient to warrant belief. Um, that, But if you, if you already believe in a deity it could tell you which deity you should go for. Like they can diff it can be a differentiator between deities but in and mm -hmm. of itself, they're not going to get you from atheist to believer. Like saying, in unless you already presuppose God. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, we definitely agree. I agree on that. I, I'm open that I might be wrong and Lydia McGrew's right, but I'm very skeptical. I'm more on your side than, than hers. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you agree with that, then at that point, it's like, okay, we can shelve the whole miracle thing and... Talk to me about this other stuff that's supposed to convince me. And then, you know, then we can come back to the weather, which like I'll worry about which God is real. Once I'm convinced that a God is real, like I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, cross that bridge when I get there. You know, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Let's do the next time we get together. Let's do a debate on, okay. Does God exist then? And yeah, there we go. Sounds wow. great. Awesome. Look at that. We had a debate and we agreed at the end. This has got a That's a miracle right there. That, that is anything a, is a miracle. That is two is people a, on the internet agreed on something. So that is the end. I honestly could not believe what I was hearing. I don't really have much to add to what we said there at the end. If you already believe in a deity, then the prior probability of a miracle, it goes way up. And so it might be perfectly reasonable to accept new miracle claims. And if not, 
than not. And we agreed. So awesome. Uh, now, there were a couple things that came out of engaging with the audience at the end. Not that they were worth talking about. The first one starts with a discussion of Bayes' theorem and how you might be able to use it to analyze claims. And then I'll roll right into the second one where we talked a little bit about the inner witness of the Holy Spirit and you know what my thoughts are on that. It seems those, like those are subjective, and I'm fully admitting all all my probabilities are subjective, normative probability values. Yeah, I mean, r- realistically, for almost everything, any like I might do Bayesian analysis just to help myself process through my own subjectivity. But mm-hmm. like someone like uh, Richard Carrier makes this mistake all the time. I think where like they apply a number and then they use it's like, oh, look, I did math. Like, yeah, but it's just subjective. Like it's it's no less subjective because you put numbers to it. It's just like, you yeah. know. Well, that well, here, okay, well, I agree in what you're saying, but here's where I disagree. So I, I've ta- told atheists this before because they just they just say it's totally subjective and, and therefore there's no point in doing it. Here's why I think it is. So, so there is the Geigo one problem right garbage in garbage out mm-hmm. in terms of the the value the subjective values themselves you know sure I, i'm presenting my reason my objective reasons anyone can assess that but at the end of the day yeah it is going to be kind of my subjective values and if those are garbage i, I would argue i am being a reasonable person mm-hmm. at least but um let's say you totally agree and everything's garbage great so then i have a garbage result but what do I what do I avoid in doing it using Bayes' theorem and stuff? I avoid the Geigo two problem, which is rather than just okay, I've got my subjective values and now I'm just going to subjectively jumble them in my head yeah. to make an overall judgment. I'm not. I don't have that problem. My cumulative thing. Yeah, you you get what I'm saying. So. Yeah, I I have argued this a couple of times with people, and like on the one hand, your uh, assigning numbers to your subjective judgments does not make them less subjective. What it can do is, like you said, prevent you from falling into bias traps where, like, you don't human humans are really, really bad at like assessing large bulks of evidence, and so it can help you kind of sort through that in a rigorous way, so you don't inadvertently like commit an error. Even if all it does is like, huh, I did all that and it came to seventy percent. That seems really high. Did I make a mistake? It could at least like like give you some kind of framework to work off of. And what it can also do is help communicate to other people. When I say it's very likely, I mean, 70%, 80%, 50%, whatever, you know, honestly, it can help with that. Honestly, Joy, you must be my atheist brother from another mother because I, for years I have been scolded. Nobody's gotten it. I've, I've explained it to it, but you just get it like that. Like exact. That's what I, I use. Base, I use base theorem all the time. I love it. It's one of my, <laughs> I, and I didn't even come to it from like uh from the religious talks that I was introduced by to Bayes' theorem in a PR, in a probabilistic risk assessment class. Oh, wow. um, okay. So like I, I was already used to like using it to solve actual real world problems. And then someone was like, Oh, you can also use it for history. I was like, Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know, like, so it wasn't like, you know, <laughs> well, here, here's so, okay. So here's something I should clarify. So the conviction of the Holy spirit is a miracle. Um, now in one sense, I would agree fully like you know the inner witness of the holy spirit and properly based beliefs are technically those are also religion authenticating events but i just kind of separate them out they're, they're not quote-unquote religion authenticating events under the definition of under the sense of the word i was using it today i i just separate those out but you know at, at large yeah properly basically allow me to god helps me to authenticate well this religion not that so in the in the general sense of the ter- words Yes, I agree, but I had a specific meaning for religion authenticating event that um, 
that the Holy Spirit was outside of for tonight. When it comes to that, my view is, uh, uh, I'd borrow from Thomas Paine when he said that um, revelation is revelation for the first person only and for everyone else it's hearsay. Like, <laughs> you know, revelation, to, like I accept that so there could be somebody who is given direct divine revelation and that means that their belief is perfectly re reasonable and rational and i just don't have access to that could be i don't have access to it so i can't assess it you know uh yeah. so if so someone tells me that they, i have a direct witness that convinces me that god exists well there's no way i can possibly refute that because i don't have access to your internal lived experience so maybe you do i the only caution i'd throw for somebody is I'd point to apostates like myself and others who will say, well, I felt like I had that. And now I don't think I did. Now looking back, I have experienced similar feelings in different contexts or whatever. And so it, it could be that they never had it to begin with and they were just wrong the whole time. It could be like, I can't say for sure. Cause again, I don't have, I, I can't reach into your skull and see, but um, I would just be hesitant myself given like other people are verbalizing things that are similar to what I'm verbalizing. Mm -hmm. They may be different, but I don't know. Maybe they're the same. That that would that would cause me to be have some doubts. But all right, you made it to the end. So now you get a bias. Today's bias of the day is the hindsight bias, otherwise known as the I knew it all along phenomena. This bias is the tendency of people to view the past as way more certain than it really was, more certain than they were going into it. For example, I know this has happened to me all the time when I'm watching like a TV show and I suspect that a particular character is the villain, but I don't like feel confident enough to say anything. But suddenly when they are revealed as the villain, my confidence that I was right, like swords, like I knew it, even though I, I didn't really know it. You know, uh, this has been studied in actual, you know, studies. For example, one study asked college students to predict whether Clarence Thomas would be confirmed to the Supreme Court. Now, prior to his confirmation, about 58% of those surveyed thought he would be confirmed. So better than, better than you know, 50-50, but not by much. After his confirmation, though, 78% of students said they thought he would be confirmed prior to his being confirmed. So before, when they didn't know the answer, 58% confidence. After, once they knew the answer, they said, oh, before we were 78% confidence is kind of how it bakes out. In other words, people retroactively gain in confidence that they didn't have going into the event. Once you know the answer, it's easy to think you knew the answer all along, right? So how this might impact you is by making us more confident in our ability to predict future events because, hey, we've been so good at predicting them in the past, right? I mean, we were so sure so many times. And of course, it's easy to predict the future when, you know, you know the future. So that said, I'm going to make a prediction here. I'm going to predict that two thirds of you are going to like the video. Roughly a third of you will click subscribe if you haven't already. And about half of you will watch our next video next week. We'll see how good those predictions are next time. But till then, remember, you've always got reason to doubt.